It's time to accelerate. Hi, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Join me as I host conversations with the leading experts in sales, marketing, sales automation, sales process, leadership, management, training, coaching, any resource that I believe to help you accelerate the growth of your sales, your business, and most importantly, you. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Andy Paul. And I'm Bridget Gleason. And we're here to talk about sort of pressing sales issues of the day where we take content that we find online, articles about sales and sales management, and sort of dissect and deconstruct and try to help you make sense of what's out there online so you can sell better and be a more effective sales manager. Great. And so today I thought we'd start by sort of reintroducing ourselves. So if you're new to the podcast series, this is an episode that we run on a weekly basis as part of my overall podcast and would love to have people sort of become familiar with us again if they weren't uh, tuning into some of the earlier episodes. So Bridget, take a second and introduce yourself. Sure. I'm Bridget Gleason. I am currently the VP of Corporate Sales at a company in the Bay Area, California, called Sumo Logic. And we are, Andy, as you and I were talking about right before the show, um, we are this fast-growing I don't even know if you'd consider it a startup anymore in the log management analytics space and all the challenges, the wonderful challenges that come from having to scale and execute fast while the spaceship has already taken off are, are really fun challenges and very different than ones that a company will experience when they're in the very early startup stages of which I've also um, led sales for companies like Engine Yard and also a sales acceleration company called Yesware, and then and then bigger companies. So it's, uh, it's fun to be in this space with a new set of challenges and great to be able to have discussions with you, Andy, about these. Yeah, and for those people who aren't familiar with me or you're the first time you listen to one of my podcasts or you haven't read one of my books, I'm Andy Paul. Uh, go to andypaul.com, I'm an author, speaker, sales consultant, I guess you'd say, and uh, gosh, I've been doing this for about 15 years with my own company. Prior to that, worked for a series of startups in Silicon Valley and Southern California. And you know, part of what we're trying to achieve here, as I said, every uh, episode, every once a week, we're talking, Bridget and I, is you know, how can we help you as a salesperson, how can we help you as a sales manager sort of make sense of, of all this content that's out there, all this writing about sales and there's contrary advice that's given. You know, one person says do X and another says Y and we're going to try to help sort through some of that that we find on a weekly basis and as I said, dissect and deconstruct and try to help you get some benefit out of some of the really sometimes the good articles that are written, sometimes the bad articles that are written as well. Yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot of both out there. So we were talking earlier, as Bridge said before we came on the air, about luck and we're going to talk about luck the role of luck in sales. And actually, I wrote a guest post for Yesware when Bridget was working there, though I talked about how you have to embrace luck. And too often, I think salespeople don't want to acknowledge the role that, that luck plays in their ability to win deals. Yeah, you know, Andy, early on, I, I started out my sales career at uh, Xerox, and we used to call luck, we called them bluebirds. Mm-hmm. You know, and something would fall into your territory and it would be a quick close. And we even said then, you've got to em- embrace and be grateful for the bluebirds. The the bluebirds and the good luck 
you have to accept as much as you accept bad luck and bad timing and bad market conditions. But the do the two definitely exist, and there are things you can do to uh, help bring good luck your way. But luck, luck, I firmly believe, plays a part plays a part in sales and company growth and development. It's not everything, but it does play a role. So you said there are a couple things you think people can do. So what what are those two things? Well, I think uh, being really prepared, being knowledgeable about your market and space, understanding your buyer, um, picking great companies that have some traction or a, a great product. I think those all help put you in a position to get to be luckier. Yeah. Well, I think I'm a huge believer in the adage that the harder you work, work the harder you work, the luckier you get. One and, of my favorites. And it's so true. Right. I and mean, if you put yourself out there, if you're a salesperson, you know, if you put yourself out there, not just do what's required of you, but go that extra mile. Right. Maybe you've spent all day dialing the phone, trying to find people to talk to, you know, engage in some conversations, but you're tired at night. But then you don't really want to go to that networking function that's you know happening for in your local area. But you push yourself to go do it. And by gosh, you meet somebody there that you wouldn't have met had you stayed at your office. Uh, and maybe they introduce you to somebody they know. Yeah, that's luck, right? That's sort of a fortuitous set of circumstances that leads you to an introduction that maybe turns into a large piece of business. Yeah, and it's that's such a great example, Andy, because so many people would say about that, gosh, you were so lucky that you met so-and-so, and they, they just happened to introduce you to this person and you close that big deal. But as you said, when you track back to the luck, it was actually uh, hard work, thinking ahead, putting yourself out there, et cetera, that led to that piece of luck. So there's the, I, I love the adage, the harder you work, the luckier you get. And uh, I think that example that you gave is a fantastic one. Well, I think the luck really involves the fact that it exposes you to opportunities, right? You still have to work the deal. You still have to be good. You still have to sell. You still have to win the order. Right. But the luck comes into play in terms of, you know, getting opportunities to work on. I mean, I can't name how many times and gosh, I think I worked for seven different startups uh, over the course of a long period of time is that, you know, we'd get people reach out that maybe heard about us somewhere. We hadn't act proactively prospected. They weren't really a typical lead, maybe they're sort of curious, they'd read somewhere in an article or journal somewhere about this new technology coming out. Yeah, it was just sort of luck they happened to pick up the phone and call us. Right. Yeah, or that they had read that article that day, some small blurb in a, in a journal that maybe they didn't read. I had a customer tell me that once, you know, I picked up a magazine on an airplane and saw something about your company and, you know, we had just been mentioned in a paragraph in an article. You know, the sheer circumstances led to the fact that it turned out to be a really big deal. For us, a big opportunity that we had closed, but luck played a lot in, played a big role in getting that opportunity delivered to us. And salespeople, I know, hate to say, look, I didn't develop this thing from start to finish, right? I was lucky that this thing sort of crossed the transom and, and presented itself to me. And that's okay. Embrace it. I, I agree, Andy. I don't, I don't think we as salespeople need to be defensive about luck that crosses our paths. I I think in some ways it's just a a spirit of gratitude that, God, this is great. This was, this was, sales is hard work. 
sales is hard. And even when you have this lucky opportunity or an introduction, as you said, that doesn't close the deal. There's still a lot of skill required to bring it home and to keep the deal and maintain the relationship and make the customer happy. So I, I think just embracing it as a piece of a puzzle and not letting ego get in the way that we can't attribute part of a successful deal or career or company success to the effort, to the work of luck, to the work of other people, to the work of our, our colleagues, the market, our customers. I think it's okay to just to just look at it more holistically. Well, I think as, it's okay as, for sales managers too to to not um, not be too judgmental, right? I mean, I've been in situations where I've worked with clients where you know the sales manager, the VP of sales, sort of turns up his nose at some of the leads that are coming in because even though they turn out to be good. Good, good customers ultimately, but yeah, we didn't do anything to bring them in. Well, you, clearly you're doing something, right? I mean, something happened to have this customer, prospective customer hear about you in the first place. Yeah, and I guess one of the things I would also say about that is, especially today, there is, customers look for referrals, they get them from people they know directly. They look on social media. They're looking for a lot of external validation in the form of some sort of referral about a company, a service, a product. And so when you, if you trace it all the way back, the work that a sales rep does on a daily basis and a company does to create a great product, to have a great customer experience, to make the buyer's journey a pleasant one. You know, that all goes into somebody then reaching out because who knows where they heard about it. But I think all the work that we do as salespeople to create a good experience, especially today when there's so much around social in terms of how people hear and, and look to find new products and services, that all are, are just drops in the bucket of, of what, what, what helps us get luckier. Yeah, and I think that part of the reason that that people don't want to acknowledge the role that luck plays in winning deals and having new opportunities, you know, come into their pipeline, is there the point you talk about? Is they're afraid to acknowledge that they didn't do it themselves, right? And so forth. Therefore, they're going to look like they're not doing their job. And I think this plays a huge role in this sort of larger issue of why don't sales leads, inbound sales leads, get followed up more proactively and more thoroughly than they do, right? Industry statistics, research done by InsideSales.com saying 73% of inbound sales leads are never followed up. And I think part of that is that salespeople in general saying, well, look, if, I, if my pipeline is full of you know, opportunities that we develop through inbound sales leads, if I had to go to my sales manager saying, well, what would you do to develop this lead? And I said, well, I just followed up the lead that came in that they're going to be looked down upon, right? They're going to be downgraded. Yeah, I, def I, I think that's a piece of it for sure. I think another piece is, you know, it's, it, I, I do believe it's getting harder and harder for marketing also to get through the noise to, to get to, to bring people in and develop leads. And I think in some ways, when, when sales is given a, uh, a huge sort of variety in terms of the quality of a lead, 
in some ways that can also train a salesperson to say, ah, I'm not going to pay attention. I'm not going to pay attention. These are no good. I think they, salespeople make a quick judgment and then throw out a whole lot of good ones along with ones that they perceive to be bad. So I think, I think both factors are at play just in terms of, of following up on leads. But to your point, yeah, a lot of it is we, salespeople, a lot of them, we want to be the heroes. We want to be the heroes. We want to be the rainmakers. We want to be the ones that that know how to do it from start to finish. There's a I lot. I dug of... this up myself with my bare hands. Exactly. <laughs> you know, I walked ten miles in the snow. So both, I mean, uphill both ways uphill to get this lead. Ways. And yeah. gosh darn it, I did it. Yeah. yeah I, and I, but again, I, my point was, and maybe yeah, you, know, you can comment whether you see this yourself and not in what you do, but in other managers you've worked with or managers that work for you is because I certainly have felt it is for managers to say, well, yeah, you didn't develop that from the beginning, right? That just sort of came across the, the transom. Well, yeah, I still had to sell it though. I still had competition on the deal. And oh, by the way, yeah, I'm crushing the numbers. Well, no, I, I totally agree with what you're saying. And in fact, there's sort of a um, next generation also of tools, sales tools coming out. Uh, Yesware has a product um, that helps sort of in the the early, the top of the funnel lead development um, outreach out of Seattle also has a product. And it's basically, yeah, marketing brings something in, but it still takes a lot of effort on the part of a salesperson to qualify, to make contact, to develop that lead, that it's, it's not so simple that something comes inbound to marketing, uh, from marketing, and the sales rep just, it just drops in their lap and then they go sell it. So I, I, I agree with you that, that there's a lot, there are a lot of sales managers out there that assume that that's a gimme when it comes in for marketing, and it certainly is no gimme, especially today. It's no gimme. No, especially today. It's no gimme, right. All right, we're going to take a short break. We'll come back. We're going to talk a little bit more about lead follow-up and uh, lead management. So stay with us. This is Andy Paul and Bridget Gleason. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Andy. Connect and Sell is used by sales reps at nearly 1,000 companies, including hundreds of technology startups and several Fortune 500 companies, to overcome the challenges of getting prospects on the phone. Companies using Connect and Sell grow their revenues faster by enabling their sales reps to have more sales conversations in 90 minutes than they could otherwise achieve in an entire week. Connect and Sell can be deployed directly to your sales reps, or you can take advantage of their outbound on-demand service, which delivers qualified prospect meetings scheduled directly on your sales reps' calendars. Visit connectandsell.com to learn more about how Connect and Sell can start filling your pipeline today. So welcome back. We have been talking about, first of all, about luck and the role luck plays in selling and how you should as a salesperson, as a sales manager, you should embrace luck. I mean, it's really at the end of the day, it's about it's about how how you make your numbers, right? I mean, if you make your numbers and you're doing a consistent basis or a sales rep's doing a consistent basis, the manager shouldn't judge really where the, the source of the, the opportunities came from, right? Correct. And it shouldn't make a difference whether they did it by picking up the phone and dialing or whether they followed up on leads that came in. At the end of the day, it's about are you able to consistently perform at that level? Yeah, and I think manager's concern around... Uh, rep performance and luck is when you have a rep that relies too heavily on luck. And, and basically, to me, that's somewhat of, a, of an excuse on the rep's part. But, it, you know, we can't count on luck. So for me as a rep, 
particularly as an individual contributor, even as a manager, listen, I'll take luck all day long, but I don't, that's not built into my plan. No. Luck is what's going to, luck is what's going to take me over, take me over my number. Luck is what's going to put me into accelerators. Mm -hmm. Exactly. It's going to take you to the next level in your comp plan. Exactly. Yeah. And that's, that's a great point in case we weren't, didn't make that clear early. Is yeah, We're not talking about depending on luck because we preface the whole conversation by saying, excuse me, that the harder you work, the luckier you get. Absolutely. And it's certainly been proven to me throughout my career in terms of the deals and opportunities I've won, sometimes really large opportunities that hadn't even forecasted and suddenly showed up. Well, they showed up not as a complete deal. They showed up as an opportunity. We still had to go out and invest the time and effort to sell and win the deal against the competition. But yeah, we hadn't anticipated we were going to get that opportunity and that's fine. Absolutely. I'll take that all day long. doesn't come all day long. That's the problem, but I'll <laughs> take it all day long. They don't come all day long. I do so, not. There was an article that, that you and I have been reading uh, a week or so ago entitled while sales, while, Why Your Sales Leads Are Falling Through the Cracks. And overall, not, not a bad article, but three reasons the author gave why sales leads tend to fall through the cracks. And one was no initial lead qualifying, two, lack of lead nurturing, and three, a disorganized sales process or disorganized sales processes. So I thought we'd spend a few minutes and talk about this because we'd just spent some time talking about sales leads and, and luck and the source of leads and so on. And the premise of this article with this author was that, that the reason, some of the reason leads don't get followed up is that there's no initial qualification that takes place, meaning that there's some, an SDR or somebody is doing some sort of initial qualification before handing the lead over to the account exec and if that doesn't happen, then the account exec doesn't follow it up. I mean, is that really, really the process? I mean, is an account exec completely, completely relying on a sales development rep or business development rep to perform the qualification? Or are they just sort of doing triage to help them prioritize this particular opportunity? Well, in my experience, um, gosh, what a luxury to have a lead development rep or a business development rep help an account rep out. Um, I, I've seen in very few instances where an account executive can count on a lead development rep 100% to bring, to bring opportunities in. So I, I think be relying on that is, um, boy, I sure, I sure wouldn't rely on that myself. I also think, Andy, what I'm seeing more and more of are, are tools and technology that uh, companies use to qualify leads. So I know uh, companies like Infer, Fliptop, uh, there's, a, there's a bunch of them out there that do some basic qualification when a lead comes in or somebody maybe uh, uh, downloads a white paper. And that is what's being substituted. It, it's, it's a machine. It's a lead score. It's a lead score. And some people are, are using that or thinking about that as lead qualification, and it's not. It's just a lead score. Right. Yeah, it has nothing to do with they're ultimately qualified or not to buy your product. It has to do with sort of where they are in their buyer's journey. I mean, that's two distinct things altogether. Yeah, it has to do with where they are in their buyer's journey. And from a very high level, does this particular prospect, company, in, individual account, seem like it's a good fit at a very high level for the products and services that we're 
we're selling. So it's it's rudim- it's rudimentary. I think they can be helpful, but it's in in my opinion, it's no substitute for qualification. It, so, it's just a, it's very first, very basic. It's to me, it's more of a filter. So I wouldn't see it as a qualification mechanism, but perhaps a filter that I don't want a lot of stuff coming across an account executive's plate that's going to have them spend cycles where they shouldn't be spending cycles. Correct. So what's the what's the appropriate role? You know, if you have an inside sales team, what's the appropriate role in qualification for the SDR, that frontline person that's made the initial contact? I mean, can, are they really qualified to make that qualification, right? Do they really have the knowledge and experience to do more than, like I said, just sort of do a triage to say, yeah, sort of ready, not ready, as opposed to not only ready, but based on the questions I ask them, yeah, these are a real prospect for our, or is that really something that the account exec should be doing? Well, I, I think the account, ex, a, a lead development rep, it can do it can do some of it, but it's, again, it's a very basic, I don't even know if you want to call it qualification, it's a very basic level of qualification. And when you think about it, Andy, a, a lead development rep or business development rep, these are typically individuals who are right out of school and they don't have a lot of business or sales experience. They're often calling on very senior people and leaders and decision makers. So there's a big mismatch in terms of um, skills and experience. And I think lead development reps are going to be challenged in being able to offer really a lot of value to that leader. So I, I see it as a very basic sort of validation is, is this, am I talking to the right person? Is this person a decision maker? Does it fit within what I understand to be the general guidelines? And then it really needs to go to an account executive to do what is really traditional uh, qualification of a, of a prospect and understanding kind of what their, their, their needs are, what issues they're having, kind of what their current state is. Um, qualification. And that's that, why I use the, the term triage versus qualification. Yeah. You know, you I think about triage in a medical sense is, you know, is this urgent, right? Do they go to, do they go to the ER or they could be fine just uh, in urgent care, right? I mean, you're making a decision about sort of the state, but not necessarily the readiness, if you will. And yeah, I agree. I mean, this, this author really abdicates that that qualification really needs to take place at the front line. And it just concerned me if people are reading that, that they would think they could do that. And generally, as you said, your people are inexperienced people talking to very senior people. There's a mismatch in terms of skill sets and really communication set that it really needs to go to real qualification beyond just sort of this as a, a sales qualified lead really needs to go to the account exec. Yeah, I like your term, Andy, triage. You know, it made me think that um, that's a that's a great term for kind of in the sales acceleration space to talk about that front line is triaging because that's that is what they're doing. Is this hot and needs to go to an account executive? Does it need to go and be nurtured? Are they being disqualified? They're really they're they're command and control. Okay, air traffic control. Where do, where does this individual prospect or account need to go. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I love triaging. I, I think that's that's exactly what they're doing. 
and oh, they're well, in qualification. Go look for my blog post on this. I'm going to go find it. I'm well, going to go find it and send it. Well, by the time we, by the time this this actually is published and airs, that blog post will be out. <laughs> okay, great, great. I look forward to reading it. Yeah. So good. So then on the second. Uh, reason this author gave for why leads fall through the crack is a lack of lead nurturing. So he's saying that what companies do is that they too often take the leads that maybe aren't qualified in the sense he was talking about before, sales qualified, and they tend to get ignored rather than being put into a marketing automation system or some other uh, sales engagement system that exists out there that you can use to continue to maintain contact and be able to continue to deliver value to the prospect until they're ready to embark on their buyer's journey. Yeah, I I would I would agree with that. I think there's some some really great sophisticated tools out there for nurturing, lead nurturing, but they are pretty single dimensional. They're all email based mm -hmm. and we're starting to change the way that we we interact in the different uh, vehicles that we use. There's a lot on social, Twitter, and LinkedIn, and forums, and text. Uh, there's a lot of different ways that people communicate and learn from each other. And right now, the nurturing is is pretty single-threaded through uh, just through email. And so I'll, I'm anxious to see sort of what develops in this space in terms of helping, what are ways that we more creatively can nurture nurture prospects when they're not ready, when they're, when they're not ready to buy, they're not ready to begin that journey. Well, it seems though that one of the issues really right now is that, as you said, sort of technology constrained, right? Is that email is about the only media that exists that can be scheduled, um, you know, monitored, tracked, and so on in a very formal fashion as opposed to, as you said, texts or engaging on a LinkedIn discussion group or so on. You know, that those are sort of like individual initiatives as opposed to, yeah, I can put together a workflow or a, you know, automate the email sequence of six emails that I know are going to go to a, a potential prospect over a two-month period, and I can track how they engage and so on and so on and so forth. But how do I do that with you know, text and so on. I mean, I know there are tools that are coming out that you can program your sales cadence in there and you can sort of do that. But those tend to be more oriented towards, you know, initial capture of interest as opposed to persistence. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, there's some, I think that also, I think there's some that also uh, it, it do work off the, the persistence factor. But imagine, Andy, when we can start to integrate let's say feeds from Twitter. So let's say I've got a prospect that I'm nurturing and, and I've got their email address, their Twitter account, and LinkedIn, let's say. If there was a way, and, and let's say for, let's, let's speak into the future and let's say that I can also track and see where they're active in certain uh, forums or online groups. Mm -hmm. Interesting if I, there are inputs to my system that tell me when, when they're active, when they've posted something on Twitter, when they've commented on something of LinkedIn, on LinkedIn, and there's some analytics around that that tells me, aha, they're starting to comment a lot more on this particular topic that's relevant to me. Sounds like they're warming up a bit. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think there's going to be some really interesting 
uh, technology. It, it's all out there. It's all out there. The data is there. Well, we're it's, starting to see some of that in some tools, some of the social CRM. I mean, with uh, yeah. Nimble, for instance, as a you know tool, or you can use certainly certain plugins with Salesforce that you can track you know contacts, social footprints you know, on a real time basis, so you can see what they're doing. Twitter, Link, well, LinkedIn updates. I don't think you can get their. Not sure if you get their group discussions uh, or you know online forum contributions, but certainly their sort of standard social uh, footprint is is available to you. Now it's not necessarily organized and analyzed as you talked about before. That's the key. So, so, you know, I, I joke with the people here at Sumo Logic, our whole value proposition is that we can collect these log files from any system, any file, any application anywhere. And we collect it and we centralize it and we analyze it and we predict it and we can do also do also sorts of things around it. That this is where sales is going also. There are, there's all this data that's being created by prospects and customers and sales reps. And it's there, like you said, and we've got these discrete tools that are starting to collect it. But there will, there will emerge a player that, uh, uh, a company or service that does collect, starts to collect these and helps us look at all of these inputs in a more um, intelligent way. Um, so I'm excited. I mean, it, it's all there. It's all there. It's just a matter of putting the pieces together. Yeah, and for companies that are listening to this, and sales managers and so on, that hey, I understand. It's you know some of these tools seem a little daunting, and but they are appropriate for companies large and small. And mm-hmm. you know, as a salesperson, you know you want to be able to be given intelligence to help you make better decisions about not only when to engage with your prospect, but how to engage with them and, and what to provide them that helps them make progress in their their decision-making process. And these tools exist. They're not expensive. Um, as Bridget was saying, they're going to continue to evolve. They're going to continue to give even more intelligence. But it's not just enough anymore just to say, look, we've got a CRM system and sort of say we've checked that box. Because there are all these sales engagement, sales enablement platforms out there that enable you to really get more information about how customers are engaging with the content you provide them, engaging with your emails, engaging with your communications that, yeah, can improve your sales performance fairly substantially. So take upon yourself to say, okay, this year we're going to budget you know, something for our salespeople so that they can, you know, we can expose them to these next generation of tools to help them become more productive. We're going to get our feet wet as an organization. So we start understanding what's available out there and take the first step. Yeah. And I agree. And I I think the reason to do it is, is effective effectiveness of the team and accelerating your results. And I think the teams that don't do this are going to find themselves uh, slipping further and further behind because technology really has helped um, increase the per rep productivity and effectiveness. So I, I think there's there are good uh, business reasons to to do this for your team that will definitely help uh, help revenue and the top line, which is what as sales leaders we're trying to to affect. Yeah, and again, it's just not about CRM anymore. I mean, I think that I think too many companies, and certainly I see this with client companies I work with, they think they fulfilled their obligation. To their sales team if they provide Salesforce or they provide, you know, whatever other CRM system that exists out there that, that right. would fit their needs. And it's a good step, but the fact is, you know, 
what you see with the, a lot of these sales enablement, sales engagement apps is they're really like the front end. It's like they're built on a CRM system, they're built on Salesforce. It's almost like you really, in some cases, aren't even aware that you're using Salesforce. Right. Because you're using these apps and they're giving you this, this data. And I think the hard thing for sales managers uh, that have been around for a while and so on is that, you know, sometimes the data conflicts with what you think is really happening in the way that customers behave. And it's important, even more important in those cases, to be able to look at the data and say, well, hmm, maybe things are changing. Maybe customers are acting differently than I thought in the past. And this data is showing that, and it points a new path for you forward to help your sales reps become more productive. Yeah, to totally agreed. I, I know I've been surprised by different data insights that I've seen and read that go that were very different than what I instinctively knew to be true, which wasn't true at all. So, uh, so I agree. It's important to be able to look at the data, and there's a lot of tools and technologies, like you said, um, in addition to a good CRM yeah. that can help sales leaders really chart the course for their teams going forward. And I think the, the key construct for sellers as well as sales reps, as well as sales managers, to keep in mind as sort of wrap up with this, is that you know, people are still people. People haven't really evolved in terms of how they make decisions. What's really the revolution is how are they getting to that point where they make the decision, right? How are they gathering the information? How are they interacting with sellers? You know, what are the steps they go through to, let's say, gather the, the insights and information and data they need in order to make that decision? That part's changed. That's changing, continuing to change and evolve rapidly. At the end of the day, you know, people, they're still going to make decisions somewhat the same way. So that part hasn't changed, but how you get from from the beginning to that point where they're making a decision has changed quite a bit. And you need to be aware of that and you need to be structuring your processes and the technologies you use to support those accordingly. I absolutely agree. Good. Well, thanks everybody for joining us today. We'll be back again next week with another episode of Bridget and Andy. And this is Andy Paul. And Bridget Gleason. And we we'll look forward to talking to you then. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more information about today's guest, visit my website at andypaul.com.